This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, we're going to start off this week's parsha, which is parsha Bichukoisai. Last, the last parsha in the book of Ayikra, in Bichukoisai Telechu. If you'll go in the ways of my chukim, chukim are mitzvahs that we don't understand. Um, shotness. We don't really understand why you can't wear linen and wool together, even though some people give a reason that linen is, uh, was the carbon that, that, um, Kayan brought and wool comes from the, uh, the carbon that Hevel brought, and we don't want to remind Hashem about Kayan and Hevel. But really there's no, there's no, there's chukim like how the Paraduma works. Then there's Mishpatim, Mishpatim are things that we do understand. You shouldn't kill someone. It's very understandable. You shouldn't kill somebody, right? So, if you go on the way to my chukim, and you'll watch, you'll keep my mitzvahs. I see some isam. So Hashem rewards us when it's going to rain when it's supposed to, and the land's going to give its food, and you're going to live safe. Says Rashi. Rashi says, Amelim is, um, you say Amelim in English, you should work hard. Amelim is almost the effort. Amelim Atayra, what's wrong? Huh? Oh, Amelim Atayra, so you should work hard learning Torah, in order to, to, to keep it, to watch it and to keep it. So from here somewhere we learn Amelus Matayra, Amelus is the effort. We as Jews are not goal driven, even though we are goal driven because of what happened to us in Western civilization, but the Jewish religion is not goal-driven. In fact, the proof that it's not goal-driven is uh, the, the thing of machshava kemaisa. If you want to do a mitzvah, and you want to give a poor person tzedakah, and the person rings your bell, and you say, oh, I don't have any money, I'm going upstairs, i got to get a dollar or whatever you got to get. You run upstairs, you come back down, he's gone. So the halacha is that the mitzvah is considered like you did it. But you didn't do it. Machshava Kemaisa. In the other world, in the, in the outer physical world, Machshava, the power of thought, things travel by thought. Why do we daven facing Mizrach? Why do we daven facing Eretz Yisrael? Why do we daven facing the base of Megdash? You're in a flatbush, on having you eye. Give me a break. So you're facing the base, you're facing Mizrach, you're facing, uh, Ocean Avenue. Right? East 23rd, East 24th, East 25th. That's, that's Mizrach. East, East, East gets higher. Facing Mizrach. What does that have to do with Eretz Yisrael? The answer is that if you're thinking, if you're thinking that you're facing East and you're facing the base of Migdash, you are in the base of Migdash. Machshaba has a crazy and unbelievable, right? That's why, that, that some mitzvah sikha kavana. And that's why when you daven, you're supposed to have kavana. Why do I have to kavana? I'm saying the words. And the answer is that Machshaba, Thoughts have the way that God talks to us is through thoughts. How do you know that? When you dive in Shemona Esrei, you say, das. Hashem, give me das. Talk to me in my head. Give me, make, I should make the right decision. Sometimes in your head, you hear the word, like a voice saying, uh uh uh, don't do that. Is that you? Or make a left, or make a right, or go on here, or go there, or I'll tell you a story that just happened with me. Just happened with me. I went there to Israel last week. Last week, Wednesday night, we didn't have Ornava. We had Lagbaoma. So I went to, I went to Israel last week. Now, I 
always take the 001, which is the one o'clock flight out of Israel, which lands 5.30 in the morning. And that's what I, was, that's what I booked. I booked going to Israel, and I booked Thursday night to go 001 to come back Friday morning. But last Shabbos, I was speaking at the Chofetz Chaim Heritage Foundation Shabbaton. And I said, I don't know to land at five, and I'm probably going to be up all night over there. I don't know if I'm going to have the kayak, you know, to do it, but, but I, 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 how else am I going to get there? So I called my friend, who had nothing to do with any of this. He was going to Eretz and he gives me a ride. I get a ride because his driver has a Rishayon, like a, a permit to go all the way up to Roshim Baichai. You don't have to park 7,000 7, miles away. So I called him up. I said, could you do me a favor? Can I go with you again this year? I went last year with him. He said, sure, no problem. We'll meet Wednesday afternoon, 3 o'clock. You'll come to my hotel, and we'll go up to Roshim Baichai. I said, by the way, when are you going back? He says, he's taking the 4 o'clock Thursday afternoon flight. Now, the 4 o'clock Thursday afternoon flight leaves there at 4 o'clock. And because it's seven hours different, right? So they're really only traveling, even though it's 12 hours, you're really only traveling five hours. So you land in New York at 9. So you leave Israel Wednesday at 4, and you land in New York 9 o'clock the same night. Which is amazing. Why? Because you have a 12-hour flight, you can sleep a little bit. And then you come home, you have a night's sleep. And being that I was only there for two days, my clock in my head didn't change yet. So it would be great. I get a nice sleep that I could come to the Chofetz Chaim Foundation like a mensch. But I always made up, I never will take that flight. Why? Because it's a day flight. It's flying a whole day. It's light outside a whole day. You go sugar, sitting on a plane for 12 hours and you can't sleep. And you don't watch movies. You're going to go out of your mind. Right? So I... Huh? I read. I love the day flight. Okay, so I, I, I can, I, I'm ADD. I can't read so long. I can read, but then I have a few minutes I have to stop reading. Right? So if you don't read, what are you going to do? You're going to eat the whole flight. So, so I don't take day flights. I take a night flight. You go to sleep, you wake up, 11 hours later, you're landing. It's beautiful. So I said to him, I'm not taking that flight. I'm taking the 001. He said, I'm telling you, you'll sleep. You'll sleep on the plane because you're not going to sleep the, whole, the night before I'm up in Maron. You're not sleeping a whole night. You're going with seeking to the Kaisal. You're not sleeping until you get on that plane. You're going to be so tired, you're going to sleep, and you're going to come home. It's going to take about two, three hours, and you're going to fall asleep again. You're going to sleep the whole night. I said, you know what? I really shouldn't take a chance. If I take the 001 and they're late, I'm, I'm going to be pressured because the time was davening early. Mincha, they're davening 645. They're starting Shabbos. But you know what? I'm not going to take a chance. I'm going to, even though it's against my... I'll take the 4 o'clock flight. And my friend's on that flight. So I'm with him. Fine. So I took the flight. Slept like a baby. Came home. A couple of hours. Slept like a baby. It worked out amazing. But it worked out more amazing than I thought. The next day, my friend, who had a friend that was on the 001, the, the, the 001 was delayed five hours. So instead of leaving at 5 o'clock, it left at, instead of leaving at 1 o'clock and coming in at 5 o'clock, it was leaving at 6 o'clock Israeli time Friday morning and getting into Kennedy at around 11, which would have messed me up till I got my luggage would be 12, till I got home, then I got to go rush hour on Memorial Weekend to, to, thank you Hashem. 
You put in my head that I called him. He told me he's on that flight. I said, you know, I changed it. My flight was over one. I had my seat, everything. I called up my travel agent. I said, no, change, change the flight. It's not over. Nebuch, on that 001 flight, somebody had a heart attack. So they had to land in Norway. So that flight, 001, didn't come in on Friday until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 3 o'clock, Arab Shabbos, it landed. Till you get out of the plane, till you got your luggage, it's 4.30. I would have got my stuff at 4.30, then have to drive to Connecticut. I wouldn't have made that Shabbat home. So, Ato Chaynein Lo'odam Das, when you dive into Hashem and you dive into Shemayin Esra, Hashem, put the right thoughts in my head. I think I have the right thoughts. You don't have the... Put the right thoughts in my head. It was Mamish, a last-second deal, and I got there, and I got to Chavetz Chaim, I was relaxed, I slept the night before, and never all those people came home, Mamish, crazy, Arab Shabbos, you can imagine, in Norway, till they got out, and when are they going to get out, when are they going to land, how are they going to get out of the airport? It was kukuruku. So... Baruch talks to you in Machshava. Sometimes don't fight the Machshava that you have. And I, I did this, um, I'm not telling you to do this, but I did this with a girl a long time ago who was totally disconnected from Hashem and felt that she had no communications with Hashem. And I told her to buy a rose for Hashem and get a vase and before she goes to sleep, put the rose in a vase and say to Hashem, take the rose and stick it up like this and say, I love you, Hashem. That's it. And then put the vase back down and tell me your first thoughts that come into your head. She said, Rabbi, if my mother catches me doing this, she's going to put me in, in a hospital. I'm talking to Hashem. I'm holding a rose. I bought a rose for Hashem. Like, what's going on? I'm like, just do it. Okay. The next morning, she calls me. She goes, it didn't work. I said, what happened? She said, it was quiet in my room. I said, Hashem, I love you. I held out the rose. And my mother started screaming from downstairs, Racheli, where are you? I said, Hashem was talking to you. It's your mother. But it didn't work because your mother just, that was it. So to make a long story short, it took about two, three days. And one morning she came to me. It was about 7 o'clock in the morning. Someone's ringing my bell. I go downstairs, it's this girl. I'm like, what are you doing? What's going on? She goes, you're not going to believe it. I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. I'm like, what happened? Hashem spoke to me. I'm like, oh no, I started a new religion. I'm in trouble over here. <laughs> I'm like, I said, what did he say? He said, he loves me too. <laughs> I said, you sure that wasn't you thinking? Are you sure? She goes, no, I'm telling you. And to make a long story short, for 40 days I made her do this. She, she said, I love you. I bought this flower for you, and the first thought that she got, and we and it went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and it opened up her communication. And of course, after forty days, I said, "Put the rose away, right, and start davening." And when you daven, say a little bit of the tefillah, and then stop and just let your mind float, and you'll see that you get machshavos. Some of them are yours, but some of them you can tell are not yours. Some of them are coming from a it's like the machshavos that you get when you say Shemun Esrei, right? So the best ideas that ever come to your head is when you're diving Shemun Esrei. You forget if you said Atok Kadosh. You forget if you said Al Yal Viyavo. You don't remember if you said Mashiach Baruach. Your mamish go on a trip. There's nobody that can make it from the beginning of Shemun Esrei till Oseh Shalom without losing concentration.
I travel so far that I say before I say Shmonasrei. And sometimes I bench Goimel afterwards. What's that? That's the other guy putting Mashavas into your head because Shmonasrei is you're standing in front of the throne of Hashem with your feet together like a malach, so your feet are together. So all these thoughts that are flying into your head, they're not your thoughts. Well, then you're thinking about business, uh, th- things that you weren't thinking about before Shmonasrei, you haven't been thinking in a long time. He also puts thoughts in your head. The Yetzirah puts thoughts in your head. You have to be able to know who's talking. So if they're bad things, it's not Hashem talking. If they're good things, it's not the Yetzirah talking. Yetzirah is not telling you to go daven. The Yetzirah is not telling you to go, go to shul. So, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu talks in Makshava. That's how he talks to us. He talks in Makshava. The Kohen, I'll show you the power of Makshava. If the Kohen is bringing a carbon for somebody, it's carbon Ola. And for a second he thinks, uh, it's called chatas. It's called pigle. The carbon's no good. If he thinks it's kachek kedoshim, it's kachek kalim, the carbon is no good. If he thinks it's for a certain reason and it's for a different reason, the car- what do you mean? The animal, I shechted it, I put the blood on the mizbeach, I burnt it. I did every, every mice I did was correct. In the base of Midas, your machshava is wrong, right? Machshava is wrong, it doesn't count. The power of machshava, power of a thought. You're in shul, and the chazan is blowing, sh- and the, and the care is blowing shofar. Or you're on Purim, you're listening to the Megillah, and you have in mind not to be yotze. You're not yotze. You're not yotze. What do you mean I'm not yotze? You heard the bracha, you heard the Megillah, right? You're not yotze the bracha. If you have in mind not to be yotze the shofar. You're not Yotza, but you heard Tzkiah, you heard Shvam, you heard Trua, you heard Tzkiah. If you have in mind, no, I'm not Yotza, I don't want to be Yotza. This guy's making Kiddush, I don't want to be Yotza. You're not Yotza, I do want to be Yotza, you are Yotza. The same, same Kiddush, when you're Yotza, when you're not Yotza. It's the power of Machshava, people don't realize the power of Machshava. When it comes to us, Machshava Kemaisa, you want to do a mitzvah, even if you don't do the mitzvah, it's considered like you did the mitzvah. So what does that tell everyone in this room? That we're not goal-driven. If my machshava was to do a mitzvah, and I came down, and the poor person is not there anymore, did I accomplish my goal? No. You didn't give tzedakah. But why then do I get the mitzvah? Because we are not goal-driven in Judaism. We are effort-driven. Rashi says that the main thing of the mitzvah over here is amel matera. We're going into shvuz. It's the work. It's the sweat. It's not the actual knowledge. It's not about the knowledge. It's about the work. A very smart person who understands what he's learning does not get the same credit as the guy who's breaking his head, who's working very hard, who's schwitzing. It's the Amelis Batayra. How do you know, how does Rashi know from this Pasuk, Amelis Batayra? And the answer is, the way the word is said, Umechukaisai Teilechu, what does that mean? Tishmairu, you, what do you mean, B'chukhesai Teilechu, you going? Where are you going? I understand, you hear the mitzvah, you do the mitzvah. What's Teilechu? Teilechu is the going. The going to the mitzvah is what you get the mitzvah for. Going to shul. What's that mission in Pirkeyavos? <coughs> you go to shul and there's no minion. Right? So the mission says if you go to shul and you don't dive in, you get credit for the going. What do you give me credit for the going in Davin? So what's the, what's the, what's the use of the going? 
He went to shul. She went to shul. She comes into shul. She goes, eh, I don't think so. I don't feel like davening today. She turns around and leaves. According to the mission of Yavos, you get credit for going. Why are you giving me credit for going? I didn't reach my goal. I didn't daven. And the answer is, the amelus, the work, that's what you get the credit for. And the problem today that I speak about a lot is because of the Greeks, because of Western civilization, everything became competitive. They created the Olympics. They created Venus beauty. They created Hercules strength. They created competition. You could, you could have a thousand people running in a race, but you only have one winner. I always say that the bronze and silver medal in the Olympics, they don't get on the Wheaties box. The only one who gets the picture on the Wheaties box is the one who gets the gold, the gold medal. In sports, in the Super Bowl, all the teams that played a whole year, they killed themselves. Doesn't matter. It's only one team gets the ring. One team in the World Series gets the ring. One team in basketball gets the ring. And one team in hockey. And one team in soccer. Every sport that there is, one team gets the ring. The rest of you, go home for the summer. Have a good day. Or go home for the winter. And that became part of our life. And that became our schools. Our schools today are not based on effort. You could get an elephant effort and fail, your, and fail your, your, your subject. How could that be? If I get an elephant effort, which means that I am doing the best with what Hashem gave me, so what is that mark that you gave me a 60? What is that? It's not 60% to me. I'm doing 100% to me. Oh, it's 60% compared to everybody else who took the test. That's competition. Why are you comparing me to anyone? Shem gave me 95 IQ with no memory. Shem gave this kid 145 IQ. He remembers the dictionary by heart. <laughs> Hello? How do you give us all the same test? How do you teach us all the same thing? So where did this come from? And the answer is it came from the Western civilization, the Greek Empire, where everything was competition and there's only one valedictorian and there's only one top student and there's only one who excels in sports. And... And that's what happened in the shidduch market. That's what happened in the in the yeshivas and everywhere. It's just a competition, and a competition doesn't work for Jews. We're not. We're too competitive. If, we're, if it's going to be competitive, the Gemara tells a story about the two kahanim that they were they they were there was a special thing in the base of Medrash taking off the ashes from the from the mizbeach. It's called trumas hadeshen. Whoever did trumas hadeshen became rich. So everybody wanted to do Truman's Adeshan. So they said, we're going to do a race. And they took two kahanim. The guy who gets up the, who gets up the, the ramp first, he does the Truman's Adeshan. They put the two kahanim at the bottom. They run up. One guy saw he was losing. He pushed the other guy off. He fell. He broke his leg. The Gemara says. And he couldn't, he had a mum. He couldn't, he, he couldn't, he couldn't work in the base of Mikdash. So the Chachamim said, races with Jews? No, 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 no. It's not going to work. Someone's going to get hurt. So that's when they started Evens and odds, choosing. They used to choose, and whoever won, called evens or odds. Whoever won would go up to the, would go together. So, I cannot change the system as much as I'd like to, because I see a lot of kids suffering. I mean, you have, I spoke about it this past Shabbos, you have kids that have different IQs in my class. I have 25 boys in my class. One kid has a 95 IQ, one guy has an 85 IQ, one has 150 IQ. One kid has a crazy memory, he doesn't forget anything. The other kid has to have, 
his mother sew all the labels on his clothing because he doesn't recognize anything. One kid comes to school, his parents are fighting when he leaves the house. His mother's like, I'm leaving, I'm never coming back. He goes to school, he's shaking in his head, oh my God, my mother just left, they're getting divorced. They're, they're, they're criticizing each other, it's dysfunctional. This one's off the derach, the kid comes to school, he's meshuga. The other one has the most civil, nice, functional family. His sandwich is made for him with his lunchbox, and his mother's giving a hug to her, to her husband. Have a good day, you know, honey. And the kid's coming to school, everything's in the perfect place, everything's where it should be, Right? And he's in the same class with another kid who's coming from the most dysfunctional home. His head is all over the place. How are these two kids supposed to get tested by the same teacher in the same way? It doesn't work. You ask any logical human being in the world, it cannot work. Right? You can't give a race to a 900-pound per, person, the same race to a 120-pound person. You do different races, right? Even, even in races, his head starts. Right? Because we want to make it fair. There's no head starts in school. It's a head start. There's a head start in school, but it's not that head start. So, so what? So, yeah, right, Wallace, you're right. You're 100% right. It, it can't work. So I'm like, okay, so let's change the schools. Let's change the way we test kids. Maybe we shouldn't test kids. Maybe the teacher should talk to the kid one-on-one and see what they know by asking them instead of writing it down. Some kids don't test well. Some kids are visually impaired, some kids are auditory impaired, some kids take a test much better if you ask them the questions, some kids don't test well everyone's different so what? there were parents in the public school that didn't allow the kids to take the you know, the big test and what happened? I'm saying they passed into the next grade? Yeah, they passed, but the parents felt that the teachers were teaching just for the test and wasn't fair and common core. So you will never see in the, the test. Right, you'll never see in the Torah any tests. The tests are not, are not, the tests that Avraham had are not tests in a class. They were tests in life. It's very different. Moshe Abenu, Hashem didn't say, okay, if you want to be the leader, I'm going to give you a fahar, a test. There was no test. It's not, it's not what, it's not what we do. So, but the principal was right. I went to a principal and she said, Ray Wallstein, you're 100% right. But listen to what I'm telling you. If I, next year, make an announcement in my high school, no tests, everyone will pull their daughter out of my high school. Why? You know, say it became a high school for stupid kids. And the, the shidduch boogeyman will, take, will, will get everybody because who's going to get out with a girl who goes to a school that has no tests? She must be stupid. Why else would they have a test? I don't want my son to go out with her. So they, she said... It's not our fault, it's the parents' fault. And the parents, she told me, complain, and this I know for a fact, because when I was assistant principal, I used to get this all the time, if the teacher doesn't give enough homework, they feel that the teacher is not doing their job. You know my daughter's teacher? I don't see enough homework coming home. You miss sugar? You want to kill the kid? The kid's, the kid's up at 7, 6.30 in the morning? Well, it's not good enough. What's, what's homework mean? What does homework mean? You go to school to do work. Why are you coming home to do work? At home, you're supposed to eat, talk to your parents, relax, play some ball, right? Read. So homework, it was given originally when, when the work wasn't covered in school. So I used to tell the parents, because I did not give homework. I was very anti-homework. And the parents would come to me and say, Ray Wallstein, where's the homework? I'm like, I teach during class. And the homework is, 
if they didn't get to work in class and they're behind, so then you have to send it home. But if I teach them what they're supposed to, what am I sending home just to make them so that you can say, oh, my base Yaakov girl goes to sleep at 4 in the morning? Well, mine goes at 5.30 in the morning. Like, what, what, what's going on over here? What are we doing? So it's competition. It's competition. And, and, and effort means zero. And the only thing that you can really control is your effort. You're only given a certain amount of tools, right? So, so the one thing that we have a right to ask from our children and our students is their effort. Because that's something you can control. How smart you are, what your memory is, whether your family is functional or dysfunctional, that's not something you can control. You can eat a lot of blueberries, your memory's not going to get that much better. I tried. They told me if you eat blueberries, the antioxidants, your memory's going to be better. I ate bowls of it. And then I forgot where I put the blueberries. So I realized that it's not working. Okay, anyway, they're tired, they didn't clap. But anyway, but seriously, so, so, the only thing you can mun, the only thing you can, you could, you could go to a child and say, like, why aren't you doing this? Is their effort. So if their effort is 100%, how do you give them a 70 on the other side of the report card? And the Torah tells us here, in this week's Pasha, which is the Chazak, Chazak, Mitz Chazak, or Pasha Yikra, okay? The Torah tells us, and Rashi says, it's all Amelus. I don't have a Gemara here, but at the end of the Gemara, when you make a Siyam, it says, Onu Amelim, Umekabum Schar. The Jewish nation works hard and we get rewarded. The rest of the world works and they don't get schar. Now, if anything is a goal, it's making a seem on a, on, on a Masechus and Gemara. I finished the Masechus Brachas. So I reached a goal. Now you're saying a Kaddish, you're saying a Hadrin. At the end of each person who finishes, who makes a seem, there's a Hadrin to say. And in the Hadrin you're saying... That Amelus, we work hard and we get paid back, not for the gold. They work hard, but for the work, the, the non-Jew doesn't get any. He only he only gets for the gold. The non-Jew is gold-driven. We're not gold-driven. The chef says they work very hard. That's it. The Mishnah, my favorite Mishnah, the whole Pirkeiavos. Lo alecham, lochaligmar. Used to tell my Rebbe when he gave me homework to do three pages. I brought back one. He said, "What's going on?" The Mishnah says it's not for you to finish. You want me to go against the Mishnah? Mishnah the first Mishnah, pick your elbows. Lo lechem, lo It's not for you to finish. What do you want from me? I should finish? The Mishnah says I shouldn't finish. What does that mean? It means I should just want your effort. Whether you make it to the end, whether you win or you reach the goal is not important. Lo lechem, lo That's Hashem's job. It's Hashem's job. I, I was just reviewing my high school. It's open for like eight, nine years. Which kids, are, which kids became Shem Rishon? Which not? Had we do... You know, are, there, are we very successful? Did a lot of girls get married? Are they having good marriages? Are a lot of girls religious? Are a lot of girls mentally healthy? Are a lot of girls clean? Like, nine years, let's look back at each kid. Uh, uh, should we stay open? Should we close? Are we doing the right work? Are we? And, and when my, my staff wanted to see this, I said, it's not up to you. You have to put in your best effort. You have to give them love, and you have to work hard. The end of the day, it's up to Hashem. The siyata, the shmaya comes from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. It's not up to us. You, you got to go out on the date. You got to put your best f- foot forward. At the end of the day, if you're going to marry that guy or not, it's not up to you, even though you think it is. It's not. It's up to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. You have to do yours. But lo don't think you're the one 
you know, I, I just get an invitation, a modern girl, she wrote, in Bechiras Libi, she chose him with her heart. I'm like, come on. You think you chose him with your heart? If Hashem didn't want you, you wouldn't like him. You wouldn't like him. Because a lot of marriages don't make logically sense. Hashem puts in the head, I like this guy. Ah, he's not what you were dreaming of, not what you picked. Most people don't marry the person who they have a picture that they're going to marry. I'm going to marry a quiet guy, I'm going to marry a loud guy, I'm going to marry a macha, I'm going to marry... Now you end up with... The, and like, everyone's like, that's not what we thought you would get. And you're like, I don't know, I just... This is who I want to marry. I just feel... I like him, whatever. I love him, I like him. We don't use the word love. I get all, a bunch of emails. Right? But, right, right, because chatz shalom, you're not allowed to love someone. You mean, meet someone, you have to have feelings. Chatz shalom, you have feelings later. I'm like, halavai you have feelings later, but halavai you have feelings before. person has to feel something... Something, I, I'm not, I'm not, I know I'm gonna get a lot of flack, but I, I'm not the kind of person that says, listen, just get married, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna get to, you know, love each other later. But I don't, I don't know if that works. I can't tell you, I don't have experience, but I don't know if that works. You have to have, I shan't put feelings in the world, you put emotions in the world. You put it there for a reason. I'm not saying you have to go goo goo and you have to go crazy and you have to go mashuga and, 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 but I, I think that a person has to have feelings. You meet someone, you have to have feelings. A little bit, something. My, my, uh, I don't know, for the last four weeks, for some reason, I'm getting this question more than ever. How do you know? How do you know? I'm like, how do you know? Who knows? People who thought they know are divorced. People who, who didn't think they knew anything have the best marriages. How do you know? How does a person know? Rabbi Wallace, I, got, I can't tell you, in the last four weeks, it's not normal. All day long. Like Rabbi Wallace, I'm going out on my 10th date. Uh, he's ready. How, how do I know he's the right guy? I'm like, I don't have a crystal ball. And if you had a crystal ball, you wouldn't know anyway. So, like, so how does a person know? How does a person, I'll tell you what my Rebbe said. How does a person know? How do you know if you're going out with a guy that this is the guy? First of all, you don't know. But a little bit, you have to know. So I really said something amazing. I said, number one, girls have a, a way of marrying guys that they feel they could change. In other words, after I marry him, he's going to learn more. After I marry him, he's going to stop watching movies. After I marry him, he's not going to miss Minion. My Rebbe is totally against that. He believes... That the person you're, and same thing with guys, the person you're going to marry at that point that you're thinking of getting engaged, you have to be happy with where that person is now. You cannot depend on, in your mind, that the person is going to change. You have to figure the person will not change. Now, if that person will not change, is this who I want to be married to? If the answer is yes, good. If the answer is no, not good. But he put it into a little different. He said like this. So I had this girl that was going out with this guy. He wasn't as firm as she was. She wasn't sure, but she liked him a lot. So he sent back a message to me, my rabbi, and he, Rabbi Gamliel, and he said, ask her like this. If you married this boy, as he is now, as he is now, and you're married and you have three children, two boys and a girl, and God forbid you got sick and died, right now as he is, do you trust him to bring up your children without you in the world, in the derech that you want. In other words, you're not here. Does this, do you trust this boy to be your children's father? To put them in the yeshivas that you want? To take them to Minyan? To marry a woman, second wife, 
that will be that will treat the children on the same frumkite level that you want. And Rabbi Gamliel said, if the answer is no, well, not right now, but you know, maybe after a few years, I'd be comfortable. Then you're not allowed to marry him. And if the answer is right now, his frumkite is good enough that if I wasn't in the world, I trust him with my kids. He said, marry him. You can't. You can't figure that you're going to change someone else. That was number one. Okay, that was number one. Number two, my question to the girls always, if the guy would call you up now, tonight, and say, I thought about it, you're really nice, that's how they break up, guys. That's how they, we always compliment you first. You're really nice. You'd be a good friend. Forget it. At that point, just get out of the car. Right? You'd, you'd make a good friend, you're thinking like, I don't need friends. I got plenty of friends. But I just, this is not going to work out. I'm out. If you feel relieved that he said that, it's not, it's, it's not the right one. If you're like, I couldn't say it, but thank God he did, it's not the right one. But if you feel like your heart just broke in half and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I have to fight for this, then, then again, we can't know if it's the right one. We don't know it's the right one. It's in Hashem's hand. But he did give us emotions for a reason. We're not frogs. We're not, you know, fish. We're human beings. He gave us emotions for a reason. I think there has to be a certain relationship. And it has to bother you if that relationship is being broken. If it doesn't bother you and you feel like, oh, I'm glad he did it, I didn't do it, then that's the wrong one. It's my opinion. It's the opinion of this station. doesn't mean you have to... You have to listen to what I have to say. It's just, um, the first part was my Rebbe, the second part is me. My Rebbe Gamliel feels that the person has to be ready now. You cannot depend on what they're going to become. I will learn after we get married. No, no, no. You learn now, and then we'll talk about getting married. It's the same thing when guys want to go to Eretz Yisrael. And it's like, Watson, I want to go to Eretz Yisrael to learn. Me only, he's not learning one word here. I'm like, no, no. First, learn here. And if you learn here, and then you want to go learn there, that's a good idea. But what makes you think if you can't learn here that you can learn there? So first show for half a year that you can learn here. If you learn here. So the guy says, after we get married, I'll go to Minion. No, 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 no. We're going out. Go to, let's go to Minion. Start now. Not after we get married. Because after you get married, he's not going to go to Minion. I have no idea why I got into the subject. I don't know what I have to do with the parsha. But before I walked in, I said, that should come out of my mouth what you need to hear. Not what I need to say. So someone in this room needed to hear this. I don't know who. But someone sitting here had to hear this because maybe she's not sure. She's, in, she's on Shiduchim and she's not sure. All right, let's get back on. Let's get back on on subject. So the main thing we see for this week's parasha is that the main thing is Amelus. The main thing is the work. And what we see from work, Machshava, and the work is that you can come. From the strangest places. You can come from nowhere. And when it comes to Judaism, Hashem loves the underdog. Always. The Jewish nation is the underdog. We're the smallest, the weakest. We're the underdog. We're his children. We, he always loved the underdog. I was, I was giving a share by the Kaisel last week, Thursday morning. I drove back, I drove back from, uh, Shin by Echayim Aron at night. We got to the coastal at 4 o'clock. We're seeking with 535. So that morning, I down was seeking by the coastal, and some of my students were there. 
they knew I was going to be there, and there was a bunch of Chassidish kids that are off the derech, whatever, the yeshiva in Israel, and they, we finished davening, and they're like, Rabbi Walstein, you have to give us a share by the Kaisel, like Ba'omer, by Basikin, after Basikin, you gotta give us a share. I'm like, I'm not really prepared for a share, but let's sit down. And we're all sitting there, and we're facing the Kaisel Maravi. And I was just that night, learning a little bit Zayar on, on Rus, because you're supposed to learn Zayar by Rishim Baichai, whatever. And I'm looking at the Kaisel girls, with these boys and it's just after Vasikin so after Vasikin there's a lot of birds because the birds start they really do if you, by Vasikin for some reason they start chirping they start flying around like, like crazy a lot of birds on the wall and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this wall broken cracked with a lot of weeds growing out of it there's a lot more than it used to be a bunch of birds and pigeons and while we're sitting there Two gray lizards go crawling across the wall. The place where if a bird would fly over the base of Megdash, it would burn. In the same place, we have lizards, no problem, crawling across the wall. And I'm looking at this wall, and I said, boys, this is God's wall. It's the Christ of Maravi. He saved the wall that was the most meaningless wall in the whole base of Megdash. The Christ of Mizrahi, the eastern wall, that was the main, that was one of the main walls. The Kaisal Marabi was like the back of the base of Midrash, was the left out wall. I said, look at this wall. I mean, like, the Gayim must think we're really cheap. This is the most holy place of the Jews. Can't they fix the wall? Why don't they fill it in? The floor, right? The floor is beautiful. The stone, nice Israeli stone, right? Everything's clean. Why don't they get a gardener and take those weeds out of the wall? And put little things out to kill the pigeons. I mean, this is disgusting. Pigeons on the most holy place? Go to the back of the wall, the dome of the rock, right? Golden dome, marble floors, um, oriental rugs. And the Jewish holy place looks like a chalestal. You would never have a house, a, a, a wall in your house with pigeons and lizards and broken with papers and weeds. You would never have that in your house. So, what's going on over here? This is our holy place. Why don't we fix the wall? And make it nice. And maybe put some marble on it. And, and someone will donate it. And they'll have their name on the wall. And they'll really make it nice and clean and fix it up. Christ Marabi represents us. The, the holiness is the plainness. Is the anava. Is the is the modesty. That's Hashem's wall. The underdog wall. The wall that's broken. Not the mosque. Not the golden mosque. And not the, 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 the church in Bethlehem that's, that, that's worth billions of dollars because it's all gold and, and, and inlaid and all kinds of other stuff. No. Hashem goes for the underdog. Goes for the broken wall. For the broken people. And specifically, the mountain, as we all know since we're little kids, that the Torah is given on was a sand dune. It wasn't much of a mountain. And it had some stuffed grass growing on it, because we know it said you weren't allowed to let the animals on it to, to eat the flowers, to eat the grass. It was a little teeny mountain. When Hashem put it on a big mountain, the whole world could see. Mount Everest would have been a good mountain for the Torah. Top of Mount Everest. Mount Hiroshima, right? The top of the, the highest mountains. No, a little teeny sand dune. And Hashem wants to teach all of us, everyone in this room, and all the Jewish people, you don't need to be great to be Makabal the Torah. You don't need to be the prettiest girl. 
You don't have to be the tallest girl. You don't have to be the smartest girl. You don't have to come from the most perfect family to be the aim Hamalchus, who was Rus, who came from nowhere. Not only nowhere, came from the lowest, worst place that a girl could come from. There's no way she would ever in our generation get a shidduch. No way. The resume would not even make it to the shachan's table. She came from the lowest immoral nation in the world. Moab had two strikes against it. The Torah says, you cannot marry someone from Moab, number one, because when the Jews came by for food, they were ingrates. They were ungrateful. We, Abraham Avinu, saved Lot twice by the four kings and when he was in Sidon. And who came from, where, where did Moab come from? Came, their father was Lot. So if we, the Jews, come by and we ask you for food and water, you wouldn't even be in existence if it wasn't for us. And you say no? So the Torah tells us, a Moabi cannot marry for two reasons. One, they're ungrateful. Two, they sent their daughters to be prostitutes to the Jewish nation. 24,000 men died in Amagefa. The most immoral nation where they took their princess and sent her down to do the most immoral acts. It didn't matter how, whole, how royal you were. They didn't take the drags and the, and the peasants to send down to the Jews. They sent their top people. The most immoral nation and ingrate, ungrateful nation. Hashem said, I don't want the DNA of ungrateful people in my nation. And the Torah gives two reasons that we're not allowed to marry a Moavi. One, that they were ungrateful. And two, because they were immoral. And you know which one comes first? Which reason comes first? The ungrateful reason. To Hashem, ungrateful is worse than immoral. So when the Torah gives the two reasons, the first reason is ungrateful. The second reason is immoral. So how is this girl going to be the great-great-grandmother of Mashiach? No way! They took her and threw her over the fence. There's no way! She came from nowhere. Moab came from, from a father and a daughter. Moab was born from a father from Lot and his daughter. Talk about nowhere from the worst place it could be at, possibly. From the biggest trauma, incest. That's where, that's where Moab came from. And Rus came from Moab. Hashem is the girls that think they come from a broken family, my parents get divorced, I'm about tshuva, I'm a gare, how's this going to happen? Right? Rus was a about tshuva, Rus was a gare, Rus came from a very broken family, Rus came from a nation of Goyim, and she became, excuse me, she became Eim Hamalchus. She became Eim Hamalchus. And that's a lesson for all of us that when we stand on Shruis and when Makao the Torah, that no one is too small, no one comes from such a bad place that they can't end up becoming a superstar. And that's who Rus was. Now I want to tell you an unbelievable Dvat Torah about, spirit, about spiritual DNA. So the question is, She had unbelievable hakarasatayv. You see that when her when her mother-in-law 
had a cute joke that came up with this this past Shabbos. So I was like, how did you know that from Rus would come Mashiach? How did you know? Because twice her mother-in-law tried to send her away, and she hung on, hugged her and kissed her. Whoever hugs and kisses their mother-in-law twice, when their mother-in-law tries to send them away, Mashiach has to come from you. It's for sure. you got to have Mashiach. It's a mother-in-law joke, but it's a cute little joke for Shavuos. Right? But, but on, a, on a serious note, well, you know the story with Yosef HaTzadik. How come Yosef HaTzadik, when he had a dream, now that we're saying some jokes, be a little... How do you know when Yosef HaTzadik had a dream, so in his dream, the sun bowed down to him, that was Yaakov. The moon bowed down to him, that was his mother Rachel. And then 11 stars bowed down to him, that was his 11 brothers. So they asked Akasha, he had a sister. We know he had a sister. It was a medrash that each one had a twin sister. But the Torah tells us he had a half-sister. Who was his sister? Dina. So how come in his dream, Dina didn't bow down to him? His mother bowed down, his father bowed down, his 11 brothers bowed down, but he also had a sister, Dina. Leah had a daughter, Dina. How come, how come in his dream, she didn't bow down to him? Because in the end, what was the relationship between Dina and Yosef? Dina had Asnas. Asnas married Yosef. So Dina was Yosef's mother-in-law. Even in your dream, your mother-in-law will never bow down to you. It'll never happen. It cannot happen. It won't happen. Okay. Two mother-in-law jokes. Okay. Anyway, they're yeshiva rabbi mother-in-law jokes. So, if your DNA was to be ungrateful, we see here that she broke it, this mida of ungratefulness that Moab had, she broke it in the most amazing, unbelievable way. What happened? So let's think for a second. Naomi had two sons. One married Arpa, one married Rus. They both died. Now in Jewish law, in Jewish law, if a man gets married and he dies and he doesn't have children, so that's it. His generations are done. But is a mitzvah called Yibum where his brother, even if his brother has a wife, his brother has a mitzvah to marry the wife of the brother that died, have children with that wife, so he, it's like his brother had a child, even though he had the child. But this way, his brother's wife had a child, so it's like he had a child, so he's not cut off, that's called Yibum. If the brother doesn't want to do this for his brother... So he has to take a shoe, spit in the shoe. It's called chalitza. It's a terrible thing. Your brother, do something for him. At least marry his wife, right? But sometimes his wife is like, you marry her, you know. So sometimes there's a problem. So that's called chalitza. Now, Naomi lost both her sons. They had no children. So you have to understand for a second, get into your head, what, what the whole story with Wuss was. The Jews, we considered any girl from Moab to be a lowlife. A lowlife, immoral girl, woman. We don't want any part of them. All of a sudden, there's this Moabi girl who every Jewish girl is bending down to pick up the wheat and she's curtsying. She's like more tsnua than any of the Jewish girls. So what do you think the guys are saying? Oh my gosh, is it about Shuva here? They're like, she's a faker. She's trying to get a guy to think that she's modest, and then she's going to show him how immoral. It's a trap! 
and they threw over the fence. It's a trap. Get out of here. But she really was a snore. It wasn't a trap. But that's what everybody thought. Everybody said, stay away from this girl. But she's so nice. Look at her. She, her dress is long. and she, It's a trap. It can't be that a Moabite girl is modest. They are lowlifes. They are lowlifes from lowlifes. The daughters of lowlifes, the daughters of lowlifes from the daughters of lowlifes. They're lowlifes. But she really was at Snua. Now, her mother-in-law tells her, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go in the middle of the night. I want you to put on makeup. I want you to put on perfume. I want you to get dressed really nice. I want you to go in the middle of the night to the Gullah Hadar, right? Boaz was the Gullah Hadar, an old man. He lost his wife. His wife died. When Rus and Naomi came back with the Leviah of, of Boaz's wife because she had to die so that he could marry Rus, right? So with her Leviah, when they came, there was a Leviah. And that's what was the Leviah. Now, her mother-in-law says, get dressed up, put on your makeup, put on everything, put on your lipstick, look really good. And I want you to go in the middle of the night I know that Boaz just finished harvesting. He ate and he's going to eat and he's going to drink. He's going to go to sleep in this room in the top of this warehouse of this, of this Goran. I want you to go there in the middle of the night, go into his room, Galadot's room, uncover his feet, his blanket, pull the blanket off his feet, sit there next to his bed, and when he wakes up, tell him, hello, you're my Yibam, you need to redeem me. You're the closest relative to the boy, to, to my husband. So it's, it's, let's, say, let's say there's no brother, right? You go to the next relative. You keep going until you find a relative to have children with the brother who dies wife. It's not only the brother. You, you keep going. To, 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 so really the first guy was Cloney Almoni, but he didn't want any part of her. So now let's think about this girl for a minute. If she gets caught, if she gets caught walking in the street, now it's not Brooklyn. In those days, a woman... Once it got dark, if you were in the street, you're a zaina. There's no such thing. No women went out at night. If you're caught in the street, you're a prostitute. No women at night. Now, she's going at night, sneaking into this go-run. So at any time, she could get caught. She could get caught in the silo. She could get caught in his room. She could get caught on the way. Oh, lipstick, makeup. Oh, you smell your perfume? Ha-ha! <laughs> we knew you were a faker all the time. We should have thrown you further than we threw you. The whole thing was a setup. It wasn't. She's a snua. What's all the makeup? What's all? The, why are you going to the girl on door's room in the middle of the night? She put everything she stood for on the line for her mother-in-law because she had gratitude to her. And the, the, if you read me last verse, she didn't do what her mother-in-law said. She first went to the girl and then she put on the makeup. If you look at the pasuk, she said, "Put it on and go." She went and then put it on. Could you imagine how scared Russ was? If any person sees me, they're going to say that they were right and I'll never be able to answer, right? She was willing to give up everything she stood for in this world for a mother-in-law who was no longer her mother-in-law because once her husband died, it's not her mother-in-law anymore. Now comes the, now comes the, the kicker. Girls, there was no Yibam here. It was just in Naomi's mind. Because when Rus was married to Naomi's son, she was a guy. And there's no Kedushin by a guy. And where there's no Kedushin, there's no Yibam. There was no Yibam here. And Rus knew that. 
Naomi wanted Rus to go because Naomi felt that if Rus marries and has a child from the Goel, so it's like her son had a child. So it was an, e- it was an emotional request. You're asking me to go against everything I stand for, where if I get caught, everyone will never believe that I was really... You're asking me to do this, and it's not even a mitzvah? And it's not even a halacha? You're asking me to sacrifice everything I stand for? And it's not even a mitzvah because you want to feel good that it's like your son had a child? Yes. I'll do it. She broke, she broke the Moavi in her. She broke the DNA. From her comes David Amel, comes Mashiach. Well, where do we see that in her child, and this is in my book, that one day will come out in spiritual DNA, where do you see spiritual DNA? Here, you see the opposite. Spiritual DNA, she, she should have been a lowlife. And instead, she was a Tznua. She broke the DNA. So there's a fantastic medrash about David HaMelech. And the medrash says, fine, we know that David HaMelech was born on Shavuos and David HaMelech died on Shavuos. And the medrash says as follows. When David HaMelech came up against Goliath, that's my share next week in Mitzvah Next week we're going to talk about the difference in a moment in life. That Orpah let go and Rus hung on and how both in the Orpah ended up having Goliath and Rus ended up having David and We'll talk about what Arpa did that night. Such a difference. The difference between saying no twice and saying no once. There's a very big difference. It's, it's such a difference. It's, it's Mashiach against Goliath, who made fun of Hashem. Anyway, so Dawud Amel comes up against this big giant, humongous giant, who wore, if you look at the, the Shmuel Al, the, 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 the mesh that he wore, the, 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 um, the shield and the, everything that he wore was like, not humanly, we could not carry it. He had a helmet. His helmet covered his forehead like the Spartans. And then it had a thing in the middle. And then it had things on the side. You couldn't, you couldn't, if you shot an arrow at him, it would bounce off his helmet. Like an army helmet, right? So here's David. The guy is, he's wearing mail. You know, heavy, 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 heavy stuff. He's got a shield. Dota Melch looks at him and is like, how am I going to kill him? How am I going to kill this guy? What does Dota Melch have? Five stones. Right? What's he going to do? That's where he comes from the game. You know that, right? You didn't know that? What's he going to do? He can't shoot him in the chest. The guy has a shield. He can't shoot him in the head. The guy has a helmet. So the Medrash says that what were these five stones that David had? What kind of stones? Stones that you throw in the pond? No. So if you look in this Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he got swallowed by the snake and his wife, Zipporah, realized that his children didn't have brismilas. She took out a tsar. A tsar, and she gave the children a brismila. What's a tsar? A tsar is a flint rock. In the old days, the ra, in fact, the Indians used to use it as their heads of their arrows. They would sharpen a flint rock so sharp, right, that they would use it as a knife. So she took this flint rock, called a tsar, and gave her brismila. The Medrash brings down, Dawud HaMelech had that tzar. Moshe Rabbeinu's tzar. Avram Avinu, that was used for bris milah. Yitzhak, that was used for bris milah. And two of the stones that Yehoshua used when they gave all of Klai Yisrael a bris milah, when they went into Eretz Yisrael. That was the five stones. He had five tzars, five bris milah stones. Like, like, like knives. 
he said the following. He was up against this giant and he said to the metal, the giant's helmet, he said, this guy is getting up and he's making fun of God. I am here to defend the Jewish people. I'll make you a deal. If you become soft, and the Medrash says this, if you become soft and open up and allow my stones to go into his head, from now on, no more brismilas will ever be done with a stone. They'll all be done with metal. Since metal changed its composite in order to do a Kiddush Hashem, I will make sure that every brismila from now on, when I, when I become king, I will make a law. Every brismila from now on will not allowed to use a stone. You're only allowed to use metal. Since that miracle, all brismilas are done with metal. Now, where did Dovin and get this deal from? What are you going to make a deal? Listen. I'm here, I'm, I'm here representing God. Open sesame. Let's go. Open up. I, I command you to open up. This guy's making fun of Hashem. Hashem. Open up and, 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 and I'm going to shoot these stones and you better make sure they go through. No, he came from Rus. He came from gratitude. He came from Hakar Satov. He wouldn't ask the metal to become soft unless I reward you. Unless I give you something back. So I'm going to show you Akar Satov, being that the stones were used for bris milah, and you're allowing these stones to go through the metal, metal, which doesn't have feelings. Metal doesn't have feelings. Who are you talking to, right? No. Metal, I'm telling you, from now on, as a reward, we as Jews, you let this happen? Only metal for bris milah. No more stones. I guess the stones agreed. Where did that come from? Why didn't he just command, like Moshe Rabbeinu, split the yam, just, just split. His mother, his great-grandmother, who was willing to give up her life and everything she stood for, for something that wasn't even a mitzvah, for somebody else's feelings. David HaMelech had HaKar HaSatov. David HaMelech, when you look at his Tehillim, he's, in a lot of his Tehillim, it's always thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In a lot of his Tehillim. David HaMelech HaKar HaSatov, because... That came from his grandmother. His grandma, great-grandmother was able to break what Moabi stood for. So we are going into Shavuos to be Makabal Vatayra. Don't think that you have a Midah. Well, I can't learn. I, I, can't, I, have this, I, I, I can't give Tzedakah. Rus, who came from a very bad place, ended up being able to break a Midah. Look, look what happened from it. Look what happened. Look at that course I told that that David HaMelech had, and the sensitivity that David HaMelech had. He had crazy sensitivity. Where do you see his sensitivity? Beautiful, and we'll end with this. She had crazy sensitivity. She, she didn't want to leave her mother. She said, wherever you go, I go. Wherever you die, I die. Your nation's my nation. She had crazy sensitivity to, to, to her mother. And not only that, at the end of Rus, she gives her baby to Naomi. If you look at the end of Rus, right? I'm sure that Rus never had a child. Rus finally had a child, right? But Rus knew how much this baby meant to Naomi because Naomi lost both her children. She had no grandchildren. She was never going to have grandchildren. So if you look at the end, believe me, she didn't need a babysitter. Listen to this. Batikach Naomi is And Naomi took the child. And she held her, she held it in her bosom. And she became his nurse. I don't know exactly if she nursed him, but she became his nurse. 
This was the ultimate, Naomi's ultimate dream. All the people, all the neighbors said, you let Ben let Naomi. Naomi had a baby, had a boy. So Rus gave up the baby to her mother-in-law, that her mother-in-law should bring up the baby so that the mother-in-law should feel that it was her child, that it, was, that it, that it came from her. And that was Rus. That was her, her crazy sensitivity to this mother-in-law. Where do you see this by David HaMelech? So when David HaMelech went against Goliath, the king was Shaul. And Shaul said to David, you know, you can't go against Goliath like this. He's wearing, like, sheepskin. He was, he was a shepherd. You, you need to wear armor. Um, wear my armor. Now, Shaul was huge. David was sh- very short. So he put the armor on David HaMelech. And if you look into Sh- in Shmuel, the armor shrunk to fit David HaMelech. And David HaMelech saw in Shaul's eyes that Shaul was very nervous because that's a sign that David HaMelech is going to take over the kingdom. That Hashem made a nace that the, that the, that the armor that, that was on Shaul, who was twice his size or three times his size, now fit him. Shaul was like, uh-oh, this kid is going to take over my... But Shaul knew he was losing his malchus because Shmuel told him after he left he let um, Amalek live, that you're going to lose, lose your malchus. It's sort of like Moshe Rabbeinu with the, with the coals. Now, all of a sudden, he gave him this, this huge suit, and it fit David HaMelech. His malchus was now fitting David HaMelech. And, the, and Shmuel Aleph, it says that David HaMelech saw this. And he saw that it hurt Shaul. But what is he going to do? Take it off and go against Goliath without any armor? So he told Shaul, listen to this godless, he said to Shaul, I'm a shepherd. I can't fight with all this heavy stuff on me. It's cumbersome. I can't fight like this. I need to be free. I need to have... So he took it off. And he gave it back to him. And Shaul felt better. He was sensitive. He, he picked up on it. And he put his life, just like his grandmother, Rus, put her life on the line not to hurt Naomi. He put his life on the line. He went against Goliath without any armor. No helmet, no shield, no nothing. He could have used it. He said, I, I don't know how to fight like this. I feel uncomfortable to make him feel good. So the power of a person's midos, you think it's only for you. It's for your children. It's for your grandchildren. Dabra Melch wasn't Rus's son. Dabra Melch was Rus's great, great-grandson. And he got the DNA from his, from his grandmother. One, I'm being sensitive to another person's feelings. Then he made up a whole story why he can't wear the armor. And two, that I can't ask metal to change its, its makeup unless I pay it back. Those meters he got from his great-grandmother. And therefore, and this is for everyone in this room and everyone who's listening to this year. Miguel Asris begins The Jewish men marry two women from Moab one was Arpa and one was Rus. And the end. Um, does anybody have a Lexus? Is black, 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 it's being told. I don't think anyone has a Lexus. No. That's my car. Mine is CRV, Burgundy color, late model. License plate is C, um, GRV 1797. Right, that's the one. Yeah, but. Um, 
What? My car is parked by our driveway. Whose driveway? The, the, the next building's driveway. By the Chinaman, yeah. Is that I hope not. <laughs> okay, anyway, I'm going to go out. It's Alexis. My car's Alexis. No, 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 no. Okay, so anyway, bottom line, everybody, bottom line, it starts off, it's being told, it's being told. The bottom line is that the beginning of it, it's Moavia, and the last word in Rus is, Yishai Hailet is David. Yishai gave, gave birth to David, and from David comes Mashiach. Everybody, no matter where you come from, You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.